It is 9-11. We reflect this day on the problem of suffering and God's answer, and then a wrong teaching that has led people in the wrong direction. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. So it is the 18th anniversary of the 9-11 terrorist attacks. There's a lot to reflect on always. My wife, Nancy, we talk about it. And as much as it's not on her mind when 9-11 comes, she's hit afresh. And of course, she and her sister Robin lost their brother Douglas. And Douglas's wife and two children lost husband and father, a loss that I'm sure they feel acutely to this day. There were so many other thousands of victims, and then with their families, tens of thousands, just as you think of the damage, the pain, and we'll we'll look at some stats in a moment in terms of ongoing pain, damage, suicides, and sicknesses, and things like that. But as, as we reflect on this, friends, I want to reflect on something larger, namely the problem of suffering, the problem of suffering, and then at this, in the second half of the broadcast, I want to talk about the serious error of prosperity theology, of a carnal gospel as if the measure of your spirituality is everything just going right in your life with financial success, etc. So we're going to talk about that, and I want to weigh in a bit more in terms of Benny Hinn's recent statements and where I come in in terms of what I had written to him some years ago. So we'll start that at the bottom of the hour, but it ties in directly with the question of suffering. 866-34-TRUTH. If you feel the Lord's given you an insight that has helped you deal with tragedy or has enabled you to minister to those who have gone through tragedy, then by all means, give us a call. 866-348-7884. If you're struggling with your own faith or if you feel perhaps like you... You can't believe in a God that would allow these kinds of things to happen. Then please give us a call. We're not going to mock your questions or or be critical. How could you believe that or not believe? No, please give us a call. 866-348-7884. At at the very, very least, it it can be a a call for prayer. At the very, very least, people will will pray for you and ask God to to help you. And I'm not saying call in with prayer requests. I I don't mean that we can't do that uh, on the air Otherwise, that's that's all that we'd ever do on radio. We we ask you to send us your prayer requests, of course, and we have folks praying over them regularly. But if if you're in a struggle and you feel you can talk about it, give us a call. So I am about to record a show for another radio station, and the host of the show solicited questions from her audience. And one of the questions was from someone whose close relative lost family members in a freak accident. And realistically, just one second or two seconds maybe delayed in either way and and the people wouldn't have died. And, And it's one of those why questions. 
you say, well, God doesn't stop everything we do. People make choices. Someone goes out, gets drunk. Now they jump a stop sign. They ram into a car. You want God to stop people from getting drunk. You want God to, to intervene all the time. Then nobody would ever suffer. There'd be no consequences of anything. You know, how, how far does it go? Does, you know, you're playing baseball and the pitcher slips and, and the ball's going to hit somebody in the head. So God misdirects that. I mean, how far does it go? I mean, people could ask this kind of question. Does that mean that you know, your, your son, when he's outside playing, doesn't fall and skin his knee? And you say, well, look, death is different. Than that. I, I agree it's different. But someone could make these arguments and, and raise all kinds of philosophical questions about how much God is going to intervene. But does that really help that person in pain right then? doesn't really answer them. I, I have a new article up at drbrown.org or stream.org, which says there are no easy answers to the problem of suffering. No easy answers answers to the problem of suffering. And I believe in giving answers as best as we can. I believe in defense of the faith apologetics. I debated Professor Bart Ehrman back in 2010 at Ohio State University on that subject. Does the Bible offer an adequate answer to the problem of suffering? And I believe it does. But the idea that my philosophical or theoretical answer is going to ease the pain of a sufferer is highly unlikely. Unless that person is so philosophically and intellectually oriented or theologically oriented that that's what they need. But, but many need a hug more than that. And, and many need something far, far more than any human hug can do. They ultimately need an encounter with God. Now, I'm not saying that in terms of you have to do something. I'm saying that often that's the only thing that will satisfy Because often in this world, there are no simple answers. And I I know that pretty well, not because I've lived a rough life. Yeah, my my mom and dad passed away. My dad suddenly in 1977 at the age of 63. My mom at the ripe old age of 94. My wife Nancy lost her brother in the World Trade Center tragedy, 9-11. Her sister, Robin, also lost her husband to cancer. And then they both lost their dad, Alzheimer's-related things, all in a fairly short period of time. We've had sickness and pain and other things to deal with, lost people close to us that we had prayed for. But overall, my life has has not been a terribly difficult, pain-filled life. I, I know many, 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 many people who have suffered much, much more in this world, many more acute losses. We've been blessed. I I feel my life is overwhelmingly, amazingly blessed. That being said, I spent years working on a commentary on Job. I spent years digging into the text. I, I spent years trying to understand and let my heart be penetrated by the words of Job and the challenge of Job. So when I say there are no easy answers to the problem of suffering, it's not because I struggle with it so much. I don't. I don't struggle with how could a good God let these things happen. I don't struggle with why is there so much pain in the world. I grieve over it. I I, I try to do what I can to ease that pain, but I honestly don't struggle with my faith. But many others do in deep ways. Some of you do in agonizing ways and you beat yourself up over it. What's wrong with me? What's the matter with me? Why don't I have more faith? God, why can't I trust you more? The very thing 
God doesn't want you to do because he, he knows that these are difficult things and he put us in this world. It's one thing to be a rank, mocking unbeliever. It's one thing to be a hard-hearted skeptic. It's another thing to be a hurting child of God, struggling with your faith. God's not condemning you for, for doubt. God forbid. So when you go through the book of Job, and my commentary is, is going to be released, God willing, at Southern Evangelical Seminary, Apologetics Conference, it's all set for that in, in early October, second week of October, then the general release for the public, I believe, the next month. But Job is, is right there in your face telling you no easy answers. But one of the great answers of Job is God is. What do I mean? I mean God the creator, God who is full of justice, God who is a God of order, God who is worthy of worship, God who is perfectly good, perfectly merciful, perfectly holy. God is. And when you encounter him, there are no questions. You mean he gives you all the answers? Most of the time, no. You say, well, why not? One reason is a lot of things we couldn't understand if he told us. A lot of things our our brains couldn't get wrapped around if we tried. Other things, the information wouldn't help us. It would be more than we could handle. And it's not blind faith. It's not, oh, Brown, so that's your answer. You just stick your head in the sand and believe there's a God. No, no, we encounter God and he helps us. We encounter God and he he changes us. I want to read a few quotes to you. They're in my article, No Easy Answers to the Problem of Suffering. They're from, some of them from my debate with Professor Ehrman. But uh, let me, let me read this to you. Uh, 14 years after losing her six youngest children in a freak accident, one ultimately caused by another driver's criminal negligence, six youngest children, Janet Willis said, today, I have a far greater understanding. This is 14 years after losing her six youngest children in a freak accident. And the accident happened because a truck driver in front of her who did not have a license to be driving, had a steel rod not properly loaded on his truck, fell out of his truck under their van, set the thing on fire as they were on the highway. She said, today, I have a far greater understanding of the goodness of God than I did before the accident. I turned to God for strength because I had no strength. I learned about him. He made sense when nothing else made sense. If it weren't for the Lord, I would have lost my sanity. In my debate, I noted that God is a great redeemer. And with society, circumstances, where Satan means for evil, God can cause to turn out for greater good. So Alexander Solzhenitsyn, speaking about his harsh imprisonment, he said, I nourished my soul there. And I say without hesitation, bless you, prison, for having been in my life. Late NFL player Daryl Stingley was crippled by a vicious hit in a preseason game, but later from his wheelchair said, I think as a result, I've gotten more out of life, particularly on an emotional level. And as a result, I feel like my life is much more fulfilled. Listen, friends, I'm not minimizing the pain you're in, the struggles you're in, the depression you're fighting. I can't relate to it. I'm not in your shoes. I'm not saying these words lightly. 
But although some people lose their faith because of suffering, probably many, many more turn to God in the midst of their suffering, and that's how they get through. And that's how they find hope, and that's how they find life. And instead of bitterness, darkness, anger, despair, suicide, destroyed marriages, broken families, instead they find life, fulfillment, grace, help, and the recognition that nothing is going to be completely set right in this world, but in the world to come, God will set everything right. A whole lot more to come today. Don't miss it. 866-34-TRUTH. Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the line of fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. I'm just looking at my screen here. Shout out to my son-in-law, Jimmy. Hey, man. Birthday a few days ago. You must be feeling great. All right. 866-34-TRUTH. As, as we talk about no easy answers to the problem of suffering. Before I go to Sam in Florida, got an email this morning from Liberty Council about the ongoing effects of the World Trade Center terror attack. My son-in-law, Jimmy, has served as a fireman, EMT, so he knows a lot of what happens and law enforcement people, the, the, how they put their lives at risk and firemen and things like that. So we, we often think of those directly affected in terms of people who were killed in the terrorist attack. But re- remember how many of those killed in the World Trade Center were, were firemen and policemen that were going into the building when the thing collapsed, all right? So there's the trauma of that. You lose so many of your friends and colleagues, which then led to many suicides, which one, one firehouse in particular lost so many of their people, and then numbers of suicides after that. You just don't recover that quickly and easily. And then those that breathing in the fumes, now cancer risk and things like that. So it, it lists this since September 11th, 2001, when 23 New York police department officers died in the collapse of the World Trade Center. 9-11 remains the single biggest killer of officers in the nation's largest police force. In fact, 241 members of the NYPD officers have now died of 9-11 related illnesses due to exposure from the dust and rubble. Last year alone, 15 officers died of cancer and other illnesses contracted during their service on or immediately after September 11th, 2001. Um, according to a new study, so scrolling down, published in the medical journey journal JAMA Network, opened by Albert Einstein College of Medicine at Yeshiva University, a fire department of New York firefighters who were first on the scene when the airborne dust was thickest have a 44% increased risk of developing cardiovascular disease than firefighters who arrived the next day. Uh, Long-term effects of the 9-11 terror attacks have been just as devastating for New York City firefighters. To date, 202 FDNY members have died of illnesses related to their service on September 11th or in the immediate aftermath. 22 of those since last year in the attack itself, 343 firefighters died all because of the madness of terrorists. 
all because of the sinful acts of sinful men. And again, it may be no comfort to families when they say, well, why did God stop it? God has given us choices. We all make choices in this world. Many of the choices we make are disastrous, not just for ourselves, but for others. God will bring good out of it. God does bring good out of it. But let's not minimize the depth of human evil. And let's not minimize how much destruction can be wrought when people are willing to die for it. The only way these terrorist attacks were so effective was that there were suicide bombers on those planes. There were people willing to turn the planes into bombs, vehicles of destruction at the cost of their own lives. How much more then can we bring healing and life and liberty and freedom when we say, Lord, here's my life, whatever the cost, whatever the consequence, use me to bring healing, use me to bring hope, use me to bring deliverance. And and may God's grace be with the families of these victims and with those suffering right now in the midst of despair, rather than cursing God, may they turn to God and find hope and find relief and find healing and restoration, even while longing for long ones, loved ones that they miss in this world and that, that wound remains open. May God fill the void as they turn to him and may their lives bring healing to others as, as so many have that have suffered so much and then they've met the Lord, they've been helped by God or he's taken them through it and now they help so, so many others. 866-34-TRUTH. Uh, Sam in Florida, what are your thoughts, sir? Hello, Dr. Brown. Um, I've, I listen to your show very often, and um, it really resonated with me when you started speaking on suffering today, and you told us to call in if we do have personal testimonies or thoughts to share on suffering. And um, on a personal level, uh, about a couple of years ago, I started going through some things in my personal life that really, really really showed suffering in my life and I suffered a lot and I kept asking where is God and that that was really my mindset back then like where is God I, I praise this God uh, I've been going to church since I was a child my parents were Christian missionaries and uh, they served the Lord all their lives and I'm here suffering and this God that we serve that my parents claim to have such a deep profound relationship with he's nowhere to be found and Honestly, I became really upset, really angry. I, I went through a state of depression, and mm. I was as close as it was to walking away from the faith. I, I was real like I I, pers- I personally believe that if it wasn't for the intervention intervention of the Lord, there's nothing stopping me from leaving the faith. Um, basically, the Lord had to intervene Himself um, in a dream where I saw I saw the Lord come to me, and he, he basically told me, I'm going down the wrong, the wrong path. And so, fast forward a couple of years later, now, while I'm still suffering, I'm still going through the same things, the same issues, I see them in a different light. Uh, I see it now as more of a challenge for the Lord to go deeper in my prayer life. Uh, it's, but it's not the same things that are applicable to everyone going through suffering. But I do believe that in my situation, the Lord will bring me out. And if he, even if he doesn't, I believe that the Lord has me going through this for a specific purpose, because I believe the Scripture when it says, all things work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to His purpose. Yeah. Even, even, he didn't say all good things. Um, all good things work together for the good. He said all things. So good, bad, ugly. 
they're, they're all working towards our good. We may not be able to see it in the grand tapestry of the universe, but I personally believe that through my suffering, from my pain, through what I'm going through, that there are others that I've, that I've been able to reach that I wasn't able to reach out to, that when I become vulnerable about the things that I'm going through, people mm. are touched, and I've seen lives change because of me sharing my testimony with people. And honestly, Dr. Brown, I believe that there's a purpose to, to our pain when it comes to believers. I can't speak for outsiders, and I won't, I won't lessen their pain either, but when it comes to believers, people who are called according to his purpose, I believe that there's a purpose. God is using our pain to reach others. There's a mm. reason why God allows us to go through what we go through, and those are my thoughts, in short. Uh, Sam, uh, first, thank you for, for calling and sharing that. And it, it, it speaks to many. I'm sure even, even now, what you've gone through and where you are is, is helping others. And yes, we can run from God and then everything gets worse. We can run to God. And first thing is we, we meet with him. We encounter him. We're, we're changed by him. So it gives us greater compassion and, and love for others. And yes, the suffering we pass through, look at what Paul writes in Romans 5. So we rejoice, rejoice in hope of the glory of God. But then he says in verse 3, and not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions. Because we know that affliction produces endurance, endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And, you know, someone could say, maybe a cynic, well, why does Sam have to suffer? And then his sufferings, he helps other people suffering. Why not just stop the suffering? Well, we're in a fallen world. We're in a broken world. And whatever we go through, if we do love the Lord, it will turn out for something better. It will, the pain, the difficulty, the circumstance, what Satan or the world or sin mean for evil, God will turn for good. Sam, I just, I just want to pray with you and for you. Can we do that, friends? Lord, I, I thank you for Sam. I thank you for his determination by your grace to run towards you, not away from you. And I pray first that you would meet him, that he would know you in a way he has never known you before. May that be so, Father. And, and then that he become conformed more and more to the character of Jesus, and thereby able to bless many others. And then in your mercy, as you've delivered your people time and time again, bring them deliverance and freedom, and strength, and then, in that place of liberty and freedom, use them to help many, many others. Thank you, Father, for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, God bless you. My brother, he's faithful, and he is with you. What's, what's so remarkable, friends, in the book of Job, is that here's a man considered the most righteous man on the earth, the most righteous man on the earth, singled out by God is unique on the whole planet. And all hell breaks loose against him. And one day he loses all 10 children. Can, can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? Not just that. Before that, loses all his possessions. He's, he's super wealthy, richest man around. Loses everything. And, and then, not long after that, loses health. It's an agonizing, debilitating condition. And with that, loses his whole reputation. What happened to Job? And the biggest thing of all, the greatest pain is 
God, what, where's, what? How could this be? Because he knew as a righteous man that a reward of righteousness was that he was blessed in this world. And that now he was suffering the way the wicked suffered. The whole thing was turned upside down and made no sense. And he does rail against God. And he does get upset with God after first just blessing him. He does get upset. He doesn't curse God, but he, he gets upset. And he rails and challenges. And yet he knows that there must be order in God's universe. And that somehow God will accomplish his purpose. And of course, in the end, Job's life is more blessed than at the beginning. How could that be? But God. And what we don't get in this world, we will in the world to come. We'll be right back. We're transitioning to a related subject, the false gospel of carnal prosperity. Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. And I'm sorry to say that prosperity has gone a little crazy. And I'm correcting my own uh, uh, theology, and you need to all know it. All right, that was the voice of Benny Hinn. I want to talk about that quote in a moment. First, welcome to the Line of Fire. This is Michael Brown, 866-348-7884. If you want to weigh in on the prosperity issue or the recent quotes from Benny Hinn, 866-348-7884. The first half hour of today's broadcast, we were talking about the problem of suffering. We were talking about the book of Job. And you could easily develop an idea that for the righteous, everything goes well, and for the wicked, everything goes poorly. That's one reason the book of Job is there. And the hyperversion of that today is the carnal prosperity message. So that's why we're tying that in with today's 9-11 broadcast that we talk about the problem of suffering. All right. Benny Hinn has recently renounced carnal prosperity teaching, and in particular, carnal manipulative fundraising efforts, things that he taught, things that he participated in, things that he often led the way in in years past, saying he was wrong and saying he recognized he was wrong earlier on, but he didn't want to offend his friends. Now, I have a little history that ties in, and I want to share this. And my heart is always to hope for the best, to believe for the best. So as Benny Hinn has said these things, and we'll hear some more clips, I'm cheering him on. I'm saying, let it be, let it be, let it be. I'm not questioning motivation. I'm, I'm saying, let it be so. Let it be that there's a real renouncing of error. Let it be that there's a real repudiation of other things that have been a stench in God's nostrils. Let it be. But before I give you my back history... Let's hear more of what Benny Hinn had to say. Clip number two. Because when I read the Bible now, I don't see the Bible in the same eyes I saw the Bible 20 years ago. I think it's an offense to the Lord. It's an offense to say, give $1,000. I think it's offense to the Holy Spirit to place a price on the gospel. I'm done with it. 
I will never again ask you to give a thousand or whatever amounts because I think the Holy Ghost is just fed up with it. All right. Rather than throwing stones at him, you should say, I'm glad, sir, that you're saying this and doing this and saying that he was wrong. About five years ago, I appeared on his television show. I did four shows about Messianic prophecy and tied in with my book, The Real Kosher Jesus. But the main reason I accepted the invitation to go on was I wanted to get the message of hyper grace out to his TV audience. You say, well, you shouldn't have been on at all. It made you look bad. I understand the criticism, and I'm open to that criticism, whether it was the right decision to go on or not. But what happened was that hyper grace show never aired. We recorded four whole shows on Messianic prophecy, real kosher Jesus, and then the fifth show on hyper grace never aired. It never aired, not because he didn't agree with what I was saying, but because this was going to go out to many people on network, and maybe he could deal with it in other ways and speak to people face-to-face. Whatever the reason was, God knows the exact reason, instead of my show being on that Friday, the last day of the broadcast, it was a carnal fundraising manipulative show that was on. Subsequently, some months later, just the one and only time I had conversation contact with Benny Hinn before that show, none after having seen him, spoken with him since. Some months later, a well-known critic of Benny Hinn, Justin Peters, wrote to me, pleading with me to watch a clip where an alleged prophet appeared on Benny Hinn's TV show, urging everyone to give $500. And for everyone who gave $500, there would be protection from a, a coming disaster. I believe the disaster was going to come September of that year. That if you gave $500, you, your family, kids, grandkids will all be protected. It was, it was one of the worst, most grievous, manipulative offerings I've seen. I'm sure there have been many, many worse. I just haven't seen them. But, I mean, you're going to be protected from disaster? Come on. If you give a certain amount, what if you only give half? Does only half your family get protected? Or, or they, do they get half protected? I mean, come on. What about people that can't give? They don't get protected? What if giving $5 for them is like $5 million for someone else? Do they have to figure out how to get 500 Come on. And, and by the way, the big disaster never happened that month. Anyway, the whole thing was bogus, false. So because I'd gotten enough flack for being on the show and because I'd written for years against this manipulative garbage. Remember, in 1989, my book came out, The End of the American Gospel Enterprise. 1990. How Saved Are We with a whole chapter against the prosperity gospel and another whole chapter against carnal fundraising. So I've been on record against these things for years and years and years. So I wrote to him. I I know that the letter was delivered to him. I don't know if he ever read it. I never got a response to it. But I urged him respectfully, not yelling at him, not screaming at him. He showed me great respect when I was with him. It was very honoring towards me. So I, I reached out to him with respect. I urged him, please renounce this garbage. Please put a stop to it. It is a stench in God's nostrils. It it is ugly for the body. Please put a stop to it. You're a leader. Come on. Let's work together and snuff this stuff out and set an example of integrity. So what if finances suffer? Ultimately, I believe God will meet the needs of those who walk in integrity. But so what? Finances suffer. You go on and you do the right thing. So I, for one, am glad to see him doing this. Was I an influence in it? I don't know if you ever read the letter. I don't know. God knows. Is it true 
that back in 1993, he renounced the carnal prosperity message? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. You say, what happened since? I don't know. But he said some striking things that he didn't say more or do more because of his friends. They want to offend his friends. Now, please hear me. I'm not saying this to condemn Benny Hinn. God knows how strong my letter to him was. And, and can I just tell you something? Dr. Brown, why don't you do this? Why don't you do it? You need to. You have no idea what I do behind the scenes. You have no idea who I speak to behind the scenes. You, you, have, you have no idea what goes on if I feel burdened and I feel to address something. Things that we deal with publicly, things that we have to deal with publicly, we make into teachable moments. And open letters are often written when there's no access to the person or where they refuse to, to interact. We, we reach out, we ask, and then even with an open letter, I'm still going to try to be gracious and, and helpful and make everything a teachable moment and model the right way to do things. But I'm not here to please critics. I'm not here to prove something. But God knows the people I've spoken to privately and reached out to privately and addressed privately for many, many years. And I would rather... In the cases where the door has been opened for dialogue and interaction, I'd rather keep that going over a period of time rather than jump on them every, every time they make a public statement and respond with mine. Keep reaching out to them privately to try to get a change of heart and mind so that in the end, you'll get a really good result. All right? So pray for me, friends, because we're going after a lot of stuff. And then I wrote Playing with Holy Fire. that came out last year where we blast a lot of this garbage again. But I want to make this a teachable moment for everybody. So, so please hear me. Please hear me. All right. If Benny Hinn could know what was right and not do it, feeling pressure from his friends when he's this big famous leader, what about everybody else? What, what about how many of you or how many times have I done this? How many of us have not done what we knew what was right because of peer pressure? Or because we didn't want to offend someone. I don't want to be like, I'm the big holy one and, and, and I'm the big righteous one and, I, and I'm more righteous than you are. So I can't do it that way. And, and because we don't want to seem like this holier than thou type, we compromise our convictions or we just want to be liked or we want to keep certain ministry doors open. How many of us have done carnal things? All right. Another clip from Benny Hinn, clip number three. The part that was troubling is the mentioning of amounts connected to some blessing that should come back just because you gave it. Like a magic number. It just got out of hand. You know, give a thousand or give whatever and get a hundredfold return, which I myself said, and my heart was saying different. Finally, I said, you know what? I can't do that. I just cannot. Because I'm thinking about that wonderful Christian sitting there. What if that hundredfold never came back? What does it do to their faith? Wow. What does it do to his future and her future? Exactly. Aside from the fact it's a misreading of Scripture, this is this automatic thing. You put this amount in, you get that amount out. Yes, overall, there are sowing and reaping principles. Yes, overall, God's generous with generous people and stingy with stingy people. Overall, there are all those biblical principles. But this is not some mathematical formula. And God blesses us and helps us in many other ways. And you may give sacrificially financially and never see the financial reward, but you'll be blessed in other ways and able to help others in other ways. 
But, but the bottom line is you come up with these cheap gimmicks, these manipulative g- gimmicks. Why? To pay a TV bill or worse still, put money in your own pocket. And, and, and then what comes out of it? People don't believe in God anymore because the thing didn't work. Or, or they had suffering when they were expecting just blessing, 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 blessing. Yes, I believe God's the healer. Yes, I believe God works miracles. But we're going to have trouble, pain, difficulty, hardship in this world. And God, by his grace, will get us through it and make us better people through it and often work miracles along the way. One last clip from Benny Hinn, number four. I want to make sure that the next 15 or 20 years of my life, that my message is the cross. The real call of my life. The message is salvation. Pointing people to the Lord I love. Jesus is his name. To talk about the Holy Spirit and his power that we must have. And I want to be known for that. I don't want to be known... You know, the prosperity teacher. No, I don't want to be known as that. Prosperity is one thing in the Bible. There's a whole lot more about the Word of God than prosperity. But it's become a major issue now. Because of the, of the gimmickry involved in it. And the false theology that a proof of spirituality is financial success. May God help Benny Hinn to bear fruits worthy of repentance, and may he lead many others out of this error by his example and by his word. And friends, don't compromise your convictions for the sake of your companions. We'll be right back. It's The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome back, friends, to The Line of Fire. Uh, Let me just unpack one more thing, and then we'll go to the phones, 866-348-7884. Again, I I know critics are saying, well, Benny Hinn said this in the past, maybe not as blatantly, strongly, but now social media and everything is just, how do you go back on this? They're saying, well, how can we listen to him now when he was wrong before? Well, don't listen to anybody beyond listening to the word. Search everything out by scripture. What I say, what your pastor says, with honor and respect for their their leadership, but search out everything. Search out everything. Study and pray and, and look, and if something doesn't line up, then question it. All right. You you need to do that. So others are saying, well, look, he's gotten wealthy by this. He needs to give money back. Again, that's between him and God. I I don't know details. I know his nephew's written strongly against him and his lifestyle and and things, but that's for him and God to to work out. I don't know if he's given away or not, or what wealth he's accumulated or not, how he's gotten it. Is it through book royalties? Is it through the sacrificial giving of people that he's taken advantage of? God knows. But I don't care who the person is. If some hypercritic came to me and said, man, I misjudged you on this or that, or or I think I'm open to some of the things of the Spirit. Now, I'm going to take everybody at their word unless I have concrete evidence to, to the contrary, or God himself tells me not to. 
I'm going to take people at their word and believe the best, believe for the best and root for them. Uh, Look, other networks have been cleaning things up. My dear friend, Ward Simpson, who's a former student of mine, now the CEO of God TV, he's done a lot to get rid of the carnal fundraising that used to take place. I don't mean everything about the network in the past was bad, but there was carnal fundraising. He said, we're not going to do that. Look, I, One brother came to me with a major ministry and said, we tried everything. We gave stuff away. We gave Bibles away and nothing worked. And then we brought some of these fundraisers in and and the bills started getting paid. It's like better to go out of ministry than to bring in some of these guys. And and one of them who was very controversial in terms of the way he raised funds and is now in jail. So let's, let's be careful, friends. Let's step higher, but let's, Let's root for those who say, yeah, we need to make changes. Get behind them and say, thank you. And, and you say, yeah, yeah, but he still believes in prosperity. It, first, one step at a time. He is rejecting carnal prosperity and the idea that just is automatically supposed to get these returns and things like that or that somehow financial wealth is a sign of godliness, right? Or, or, or that godliness is the means to financial gain. Or if I just get godly, I'll get rich, and then pursue riches in the name of God. Yikes. First Timothy 6 blasts that mentality. But please hear me. There is a truth about provision, a truth about generosity, a truth about reciprocity. That's taught in many ways in Scripture. All right? Now, in India, the believers there, they, they, they really believe in prosperity. In other words, uh, they have a shirt instead of walking around naked. And they get sandals now instead of being barefoot. And the tribal pastor who supported full time for $60 a month now has a bike to get to other places with his one set of clothes to share the gospel. He knows that God provides. In other words, it's not he's got a Mercedes Benz now or Rolls Royce or Rolex watch. Okay. It's that God's met his needs, and now he can go serve others. God does meet us. And many of us are wonderfully blessed in this world. I've been blessed. I've been blessed in so many ways. Many of us, especially living in America, have been blessed. But that, that's not the sign of spirituality or the result of the gospel. Jesus didn't die on the cross to make us financially rich. So, yes, there are principles of giving and receiving. Absolutely. And, yes, I believe in tithing and beyond. And, and yes, I've seen blessing come as I've obeyed the Lord and given, and he's met needs and enabled us to meet the needs of others. I believe in all that. But the carnal prosperity message is basically saying that when you're righteous, you're blessed. Blessed physically, materially in this world. Well, what about the dear sister who, who's withering away of cancer? Is she not godly? What about that baby that's born with a deformity is lifelong in a wheelchair? Is that person can't be God. The parents are not godly. What about these believers that we work with in India and tribal regions that are dirt poor for our standards in America? Are, are they not godly? I mean, that's this carnal way. Of, what are we thinking? What are we thinking? Yikes. Jesus preached the good news to the poor. Yes, he didn't preach. You're going to get financially rich. Good news is that God's love had come to them and they were not rejected and outcast and they were of, of high esteem in God's Sight. You can go to uh, askdrbrown.org. Guys, see if you can find the actual link 
where I take my chapter from How Saved Are We on the Carnal Prosperity Message, and we, we put it online. Then I have a whole chapter in Playing with Holy Fire on the pep talk gospel and the prosperity message, along with chapters that deal with carnal fundraising. So if you haven't read Playing with Holy Fire, I encourage you to get hold of it because we address a lot of these things head on, quite forthrightly. One reason I did not name names in Playing with Holy Fire, and Paul sometimes names names, Peter sometimes does, or, or Paul especially does, John sometimes does, others they don't, others Peter, other times Peter doesn't. But if someone had repented of something, maybe it was a practice 10 years ago and I was not aware they had stopped and here, they, here I am criticizing them for what they did 10 years ago, or, or maybe they've repented in recent months and now they're being nailed like that. It wasn't like it was a book they wrote or something I'm actually quoting, but practices and stuff where people have changed. So I didn't name names, but I addressed the issues. And if the shoe fits, it's very easy to, to wear. 866-34-TRUTH, right? Let's grab one more call. We go to Maryland. Andrew. All right, Andrew's gone. Sorry you couldn't hold, sir. I'm particularly sorry because the subject line said he currently has a problem with suffering. May I encourage you to go to our website or our YouTube channel, Ask Dr. Brown, and website askdrbrown.org, YouTube channel askdrbrown, A-S-K-D-R Brown, and type in Ehrman, E-H-R-M-A-N, E-H-R-M-A-N. On YouTube, you can watch the entire debate with Professor Bart Ehrman. I I believe it will help you, not because I'm a brilliant debater. Bart Ehrman's a strong debater. It's not who's a better debater. But I believe there are some insights, some quotes, some, some nuggets will help you in the midst of suffering. And, and others like Tim Keller have said, look, when I look at the cross, I still don't get an answer to the problem of suffering. But I know I can't blame God because he loves us that much to come into this world and suffer on our behalf. John Stott, the great English leader of the last generation, said that he he could not believe in God, have faith without the cross. Because it's it's like this. I could give you this analogy. It's it's just partial. It's just partial, all right? But let's say there's a terrible earthquake in in your city and people are buried under the rubble. And you say, where is God? Where is God? And then you look and there's Jesus on his hands, his knees, his, his hands bleeding as he's, as he's lifting rubble off people and carrying little children out. It, it doesn't answer the problem of where was God when the earthquake happened, but it makes you understand God's not just sitting there distantly. He, he's entering into our pain to fix it. So there are other reasons. There are other things going on. I'm talking to Nancy today. And again, a day of grieving as she thinks about her, her brother, Douglas, who was killed in the World Trade Center and thinks then of the, the many other victims. The, the, fact, the fact is this, friends. And as Nancy said, when you just get hold of eternity, everything changes. Everything changes. And she said there's just so much about God we don't understand or we understand wrongly that we think he's like this, this you know, magic man. And he just, oh, okay, you're not going to suffer here. Just click this button, do this, do this. Just kind of float your way through life. No, it's not the way he works. And for good, for good reason, it's not the way he works. So you might be hurting so badly, my words are going in one ear and out the other, or they're not even getting in. 
you might be hurting so badly that you're listening to me, but you can't hear me. I want to encourage you to throw yourself completely on God. To throw yourself completely on God. And, and, and to just say, I, I can't make it. I don't have it in me. I don't know what to do. You got to help me. If you will throw yourself on him, he will catch you. He will catch No, I don't mean do something crazy, suicide attempt. No, no, no. I don't mean that. I mean emotionally. I mean spiritually. And if you're at that place where you feel like I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take my life, I can't. call somebody, call a friend, call the suicide hotline, reach out. There are people that will take you by the hand right now and help you get out of this deep, deep, deep darkness and help you see that there really is light and there really is hope and there really is a reason to live. So I don't do this often, friends, but just join me now in prayer. And I'm going to close my eyes with you. Father, for everyone in deep pain now, suffering, the ongoing victims of 9-11, but just the victims of tragedy and pain and difficulty, and even those suffering for terrible choices they made, but they don't know the way out now. I ask you to make real to them your love. I ask you to make real to them the power of the cross. I ask you, God, to lift them and help them and meet them and restore them and bless them. That the days ahead, I pray, God, will be the greatest they've ever known. That the darkness will pass and light will shine. Your light, the light of the cross, the light of your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 